Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to free his own shot. I, I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and nine. Week 4 Shark Sports Radio will be talking about those Providence College Friars. And we also will be talking about and analyzing the 2019 Boston Red Sox. Welcome to another edition of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody. It's yours truly, Mark the Shark. See what I did there? Changed it up on you. You didn't see it coming. I'm glad everybody's listening in this week. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, as usual. There's so much to take in in a sports week. And, you know, you talk about it at work, you talk about it with the barbershop, you talk about it, you know, with your peers, and everybody has an opinion. And that's the beauty in sports radio, is everyone has an opinion and they can abide to it, uh, whether you like it or not. And that's what makes commentary so much fun, is because everyone has their own perspective on things. Want to get into it with the Providence College Friars along with the Boston Red Sox. Um, we'll, we'll tip it off with the Providence College Friars. Of course, they're playing Butler in Indiana tonight. Um, it's going to be an extremely tough game for them because they just haven't been able to get on the right track. Um, yes, they beat St. John's, but St. John's is probably the most overrated team in the Big East. Their record's not what they're made of. Like, Chris Mullen has, you know, a good handle for his squad, but well, let's just be honest, it's not a matter of X and O's with that team. It's Shamari Pons. I mean, Pons is a real deal. You know, he's going to be an NBA caliber player for sure in the next upcoming years. There's a lot I want to break down with, you know, Coach Cooley and the Providence College Friars. They have a lot of young players on this team. Uh, you know, Alpha Diallo, the senior on the, the team, hasn't been really as advertised going into this season. You know, A.J. Reeves has had injuries. You know, Drew Edwards has stepped up in a lot of big ways. And I think the MVP of the season is Nate Watson. I mean, anytime you get the ball in the paint, you know, he's bound to score and play terrific defense. Uh, I think a matter of having a presence in the paint is the number one thing. What I've seen in these games, and I don't want to break down like game by game because that's just so boring to me. I'm a five, ten game season take holder with PC, and I've been you know PC season take holder with my father uh, from 2005 up until I think it was around 2011, and now I'm back at it. I had to take a break because I went to college, but there is so much inconsistency this year, and it's weird because I. I kind of relate them to the Boston Celtics because there's so much going on and it's just hard to figure out why this is happening. The identity of the Providence College Friars is Ed Cooley's his work ethic, his spirit. I think his spirit and dedication, his passion on the court is probably his strength. 
His weakness by far is X's and O's. And my roommate, Ryan McDermott, shout, shout out to him. He came out with this idea. I, I agree with it. You get an assistant coach, somebody that has a good head on their shoulders, X and O's wise, somebody that knows the game a little better than it, Cooley, a little smarter than it, Cooley. I'm not saying that he's not made for, for the Providence. He is. But there is so much going on mentally with this team that it's just overbearing. And I feel like if he if he could connect with them off the court and have a little more chemistry, and I think there's too much talent on this team to be this bad. If Jay Wright was the coach or, you know, Tom Izzo or any of these big coaches, John Calipari, I mean, you, you put them on the Providence College Friars, I think that their talent would show up a little more than what it is. And, and part of the reason why is because, I'm sorry, when you play Villanova at home and, you know, you come back, I think they were down like 22 points, your backup point guard is standing there dribbling the ball and not even know how much time is on the clock. That's a problem to me. That that's just not realizing and recognizing what is happening in that moment. There's so much that can happen to this Providence College Friars that it's not happening. Like they're 15 and I believe 13, and I think Butler's 15 and 12. So that's going to be one heck of a game to watch. There is a lot to this Providence College team, especially this year and in years past. You can't put words into it because there's there's just so much talent on this team. Like I said that. They need to be good. And you, you can't even figure out why they're not good. You know, they got a great shooter in A.J. Reeves. He can get buckets. When he puts up his shot, you know it's going in. Nate Watson, dominant in the paint. I mean, he's a sophomore. He's going to be a junior next year and then a senior. You get it. But he's going to be a force. Right now, he is the bonafide big man behind Govan and Georgetown in the Big East. And, I mean, he's putting up recently – some stats that are just unbelievable. I think it's around 15 and 8, if I had to guess. So overall, this kid has what it takes. The problem is everybody has to get together. Everybody has to be a group here. You know, they have different pieces coming in. So, like, A.J. Reed has come back from that ankle injury. And then, you know, Makai Ashton Lakeford stepping up, right? Then you have Alpha Diallo. You got, you know, Isaiah Jackson you got pieces around, and there's no excuse for you to be this bad. I mean, that Georgetown game, they're up eight, you know, in the second half. There's no excuse to lose in overtime. I was live for that UMass game. I think everybody in that building was going to throw uh, something on the court at one moment. There was just no heart. You're up, I think it was 26 points in the second half, and you let this team come back in, a, a, a team of UMass, who are basically a bunch of journeymen. There is so much drama within the Providence College organization that it needs to be cleaned up. If you look at Ed Cooley, there's no excuse for you to be this bad. You know, last year you were 21 and 13, right? So that's not a bad record, but you've made it to the Big East Championship in multiple years. And you actually won. There's no shock to this because when you hit your peak, you have a tendency to get complacent. There, there becomes a problem when the message on the court isn't delivered as spectacular as your, your want, your motivation. It, it's just that evident. You cannot compete in the Big East with Seton Hall, Creighton, Butler, St. John's, DePaul. They lost DePaul on February 2nd. That was only about, what, a month ago now? A lot of these games, they're beatable. They're winnable. And that's why they're not going to make it to the tournament this year over any of the year because this conference is beatable. It's beatable from top to bottom. 
as you saw, Villanova lost to Georgetown. I think coming into the season, I really think it was going to be Villanova, PC, Marquette, and possibly Georgetown. And there's a lot of mix and match going on when you know that's the issue. When fans go to the game or if you're watching on TV, it's kind of mind-blowing because you're trying to figure out why this team has been so inconsistent and why doesn't Ed Cooley see that he's just a bad X and O's guy. The way basketball is created is you have an inside presence and you have an outside presence. So inside, Nate Watson is going to get buckets. He's done that the entire season. But when you have you know, a guy like A.J. Reeves on the perimeter, you know, wide open, or, you know, Malik White, wide open, and Alpha Diallo sells for a jumper to be the hero, that's a problem to me. Because everybody's trying to be a hero instead of a collective group, a collective win. And it seems like Cooley's getting too, I guess, intensified on the sidelines and really can't find an answer. Think finding that answer is one, you got to win on the road. If you're a team in the Big East, if you win at home, it's a good win. But if you win on the road, that win looks better than any other win at home. The reason why is because there's such top quality, maybe not this year, but in years past, there have been top quality teams that have gone through the NCAA tournament. So this year, there's probably only going to be like three or four teams, if that. Maybe only two. I mean, I don't see any other team that's really competing besides Villanova and Marquette. There's bottom-of-the-barrel teams that just can't get back up. team like Seton Hall and team like Creighton, it's just in Xavier. Like, there's awful teams to share, and, that, and that's why it looks bad for PC. Like, these teams you should be beating. They're winnable games at the dunk. They're winnable games on any court, any neutral site even. They beat Texas, you know, coming into the season, which is a great win because, you know, Texas, they beat Kansas in the beginning of the year. And and that looks good on a resume. But what doesn't look good is you basically beating Boston College on a buzzer beater, losing to UMass, losing to DePaul, losing to Seton Hall. It's unbelievable. It's like a, a domino effect. Every single time they feel like they're at track, they get blown off right away. That's the other thing that's missing. There's no attack mode. It seems like you know all their offensive plays are passable and, and screen away. And that's bad offense. That's easy defense. You got to make the defense work. I'll give you an example. There was a game last year I went to. It was uh, the Villanova game, and it was at home. And that place in the dunk was rocking. There was just so much going on. It was just really good to see, like, you know, the fans really get into it because they saw a promising season. And then after a while, you know, you kind of saw it that, you know, Cartwright was leaving. There was some players transferring, which you might see after this season. If they have a terrible ending of the season, you might see some players that might leave. I mean, Ed Cooley is one heck of a recruiter when it's all said and done. He's been through a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but he's gotten a lot of players into the Providence College system, but hasn't gotten the best out of them because he's just not good. Basketball IQ, basketball X and O's, he's just not there. So a lot of these players, they feel like there's not a lot of competition there. But there is. There's a ton of competition. But again, it goes back to, you know, Ed Cooley getting comfortable with his rotations. Ed Cooley deciding, you know, down the stretch what type of players he wants to play. And there's been tough mixes down the stretch, and there's been great mixes. But 
there hasn't been a consistent rotation. And you could say the same with Brad Stevens in the Boston Celtics. There's there's some parallels there. Not to say that you know Brad Stevens is at the level of Ed Cooley, but the way that the rotations are, they might be playing too many players. Maybe cut the rotations to seven to eight players. I know there's a lot of talent on a team, but be competitive. If I'm a player and I'm saying, you know what, you know, if it's going to be a seven or eight man rotation, I got to do my best. Like I got to want that playing time. So that that's all the reason why to get back into the gym and practice in a brand new spanking facility, which is unbelievable, by the way, state of the art facility and just work on your craft. And then egg coolly ingrain yourself in these players to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. If, if I'm Ed Cooley, I'm setting a down screen almost every time to A.J. Reeves, and then I'm posting up Watson off of that screen and, and, and getting the ball moving. Ball movement's so key. I'll never forget that moment with Villanova. It, it's like Marcus Smart, basically, for the Celtics out there, just dribbling the ball out and then deciding, what should I do? But, I mean, Marcus Smart would have a better handle of the clock, right? But as far as potential goes and noticing what the opportunity is, like you don't just settle for a jumper or a three-point shot after a timeout. And there's there's got to be more movement. Like there's got to be, you know, a lot of cuts to the basket. There's got to be, you know, different screens down low. There's got to be screens for, like I said, AJ Reeves or Malik White. I've never seen so much isolation in one season by Providence. And, and the defense, the defense is atrocious. It's an uncanny situation to be that bad defensively. You just don't see it. I've never seen somebody made three-pointers. It was unbelievable against Seton Hall. And, I mean, that Marquette game was, was troubling to watch as well. There's a lot of conflicts going on within Providence College Friars system. If you get an assistant coach that knows the game of basketball a little bit better than Ed Cooley, I'm not saying Ed's stupid. I'm not saying that at all here. What I'm just saying is he's a better motivator, better passionate coach. You know, really like the guy that hypes up the team. It is true though. I mean, you go out there and you watch those games. I could set up the same damn play. Why are they running this? Like a lot of times when you're down, the only way you can get back up is if you play defense. Playing defense gets you back into games. Offense really doesn't get you back in the games. I mean, unless you really are shooting lights out, that's one way offense can get get you back in the game. But if you're playing strong defense, there is a will to get back into the game rather than just settling. Like, I hate when players just settle for threes. That's the worst kind of basketball you can possibly watch or enjoy as a coach. Like, if I'm Cooley... And I'm seeing like Ashton Lankford or Malik White just dribble the ball out and then shoot. He's sitting next to me on the bench. He's grabbing some pine. He, he's not getting some PT. That's the end-all be-all for that player. Ed Cooley really has to do a better job at focusing on the plays at hand. Hopefully, they get their, their heads on within these last three games. I think they play Butler, Creighton, and Butler. So they're going to have to get something going going into the tournament. Again, 15 and 13, you end the the season 18 and 13. You grab a couple of games, maybe two in the Big East. I don't even see them making a bubble. That's the problem. Gotten themselves such a deep hole that it's going to be a large climb out, and I don't see it happening. It's tough. At the end of the day, their talent didn't equal what their record was this year. Their schedule was fairly easy. 
I, I think Georgetown could be the third team in, especially with them winning against Villanova. Uh, that was a great game. A great preparation by Patrick Ewing as well. With that being said, you know we can only hope for success for the Friars, but Friars Nation, I would definitely set your expectations to be real. And it's not looking good for the 2018 and 19 season, but come 2019-20, hopefully Ed gets his head on right. He hires somebody well, and you know hopefully success is what they're looking for when uh, the end of the road hits. All right, so now I think it's a good time to go around the diamond. Uh, we got the Red Sox coming into a, a great opportunity to you know win again. You know, hats off them in the you know 2018 season. Uh, they really showed a lot of resiliency. I, I think resiliency was the number one thing uh, going into the, to that postseason. They just showed it. Uh, I believe that there are teams that have spectacular talents, but when it's all within the offseason, you got to find players like Steve Pierce. You know, you got to find players like Eduardo Nunez, um, you know, Sandy Leone. Um, but I mean, Christian Vasquez is, was unbelievable. There's a lot to talk about between the 2018 season and 2019 season. And I think the, the number one thing I want to focus on today is the closing situation. Not once have I ever seen the Red Sox not go into a season with a bona fide closer. They always had some kind of closer to come in, whether that's Keith Folk, Jonathan Papelbon, you know, they had Koji Uehara, you know, sometimes Tadeki Okajima. In recent years, it was Craig Kimbrell. Even Joe Kelly sometimes got some closing opportunities, and he's now in the LA Dodgers organization. He made a pretty good penny. I think it was $8 million a year. Craig Kimbrell, is he overrated? Sure. Um, I definitely think he's overrated, but I don't know what the contract is really looking like. I heard, you know, today is around six years, 68 million. I think Kimbrell, you know, he throws a lot of balls, right? He throws a lot of balls in the dirt. He just doesn't have that command when it comes to pitching at the plate. A lot of times he gets down the count and it's just troubling to see him try to get back up. And there's been multiple times where it's two and one and he throws a ball in the dirt and he tries to make the hitter chase and the hitter doesn't chase. They're not going to bite onto his bullet. Uh, But it's, you know, then it's three and one and he's throwing a ball way too high for the hitter even to attempt. Going into the season, I think Matt Barnes, I heard that he might be, you know, closing opportunities, which would be nice to see. Him being fairly young, I think he's in his late 20s, 27, 28. He, he had a strong postseason. He really did. Uh, he came in, you know, clutch, you know, multiple times as a setup role. And he gave hefty innings. And I think against the Astros, he went, you know, three and a third. I think it was game five or game six. It was nice to see these players come together last year. Like Alex Cora, you know, it's your first season there expectations are as always um, with the Boston Red Sox is to win the World Series that's just been their expectations and I think what sets the bar is this being a title town you know Boston New England you know I hate to say I'm not a Patriots guy but Patriots have won Bruins won in 2011 Celtics won in 07-08 you know so there's there's a lot of expectations coming into every single season in any sports team in Boston area to win it to win it at the end of the day and, you know, have your conclusion at the end of the season, be a champion, earn that trophy. I'll go back to it. There's just a lot of these players who have been doubted in the past. I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr., he had the best postseason, but man, did he have some spectacular moments. That Houston game when he had that grand slam 
Andrew Benatendi coming in as a high-end uh, prospect. He lived up to his expectations. Xander Bogarts. I think Alexander Bogarts finished with 300-plus in batting average, and he had a, a clutch home run, I believe it was in Game 5. There's been a lot of moments for these you know, players that have been talked about in the media and over time where people just didn't believe in it. But there's something in Alex Cora that just gives you the confidence and the morale to believe in the Red Sox and to believe in the product that he's putting on, on the diamond. Defensively, offensively, they they have been outstanding. 2018 season was probably the most perfect season I have seen in a while. And to make an argument of the 2013 season, but I think this team was just more fun to watch. It was just, who's going to step up? And you knew somebody was going to step up, whether that's Mookie Betts, whether that's you know, Andrew Benatendi, whether that's Alexander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez having a stellar season. Glad to see him back with the Red Sox. It's going to be tough moving forward because Dave Dombrowski is going to have to decide who he wants to keep around and who's not going to be around. I think going into the season, you're going to see the same roster, maybe add one or two pieces. But come 2019-20 season, they're going to have to decide on a, a couple of players. I think Mookie's going to be a free agent. I think it's Alexander Bogarts. JD's coming up. Chris Sale. So they're going to have a lot of players that are going to be wanting some some hefty, hefty payments. And I think a couple of guys that you would you would see you know, moving on from if you can possibly trade them is Jackie Bradley Jr. and Alexander Bogarts. I do think like the offensive production that Jackie Bradley had in the last year's postseason kind of you know took him a little back as far as you know annual money wise per season. Xander Bogarts, him being you know Scott Boris uh, client, there's no looking back. When you're facing Scott Boris, he's gonna want as much money as possible because at the end of the day he gets a cut from it. So uh, just like any agent does, but he tries to just get the most value. It's unbelievable. Some players that just get as much out of Scott Boris as possible. And you're seeing it with Bryce Harper right now. Bryce Harper looking at the Cubs, looking at the Dodgers, looking at the Giants, um, looking at the Phillies. Phillies have offered 300 plus million. That just shows how powerful Scott Boris is and will be when the conversations come up with Alexander Bogarts. Chris Sale conversations have been pretty mutual. I, I think there's both sides that really want to get a deal done, which you know could possibly happen within the early part of the season. What I think is going to be beneficial for the Red Sox is you have a guy like Alex Cora, young core around Mookie Betts, Andrew Benatendi, Bogarts this year, Christian Vasquez, Chris Sale, J.D. Martinez. No, I can go on and on. They really got a good core. So there's a lot of players coming back from injury. So expectations-wise, I don't think the bullpen's going to be as good as people you know, tend to hope. Um, but their starting pitching should be pretty prevalent. Um, you know, I, I think a vital player in the Red Sox success in 2019 and 20 season is going to be David Price. David Price had an incredible Game 6 performance when it mattered. You know, he needed to step up, and he did. And, I mean, last year's team was just, it was fun to watch in the postseason. It really was. There was something about that team that you just, you saw a lightning in the bottle kind of struck when Alex Cora became the new manager of the Red Sox. I mean, anytime you go through, you know, things going off the field and injuries, it just adds up and keeps adding up. Whereas Alex Cora kind of reminds me of Brad Steven. He 
Steven Seagal is about his business the right way. He's calm, cool, collected. When he needs to step up for his players, he does. But he also knows, like, maybe I should adjust my lineup because we're playing the left. You know, maybe he doesn't bat good around lefties. Maybe we should leave Nunez in to play a righty um, or play a lefty. It's all, you know, ebbs and flows at the end of the day, the pitching staff. It could be high, you know, with Chris Sale and, you know, Rick Porcello and, and David Price and possibly a strong bullpen. Then it could be really low because I don't think that the longer levers and the short levers, setup guys, closers are really going to have satisfaction when it comes to pitching in this season. There's just not a lot of productivity. There's not enough sample size. Looking at, you know, a guy like Matt Barnes, if he becomes a closer this offseason, there's been reports that Dave Dombrowski saying, I don't think I need a closer. I think we can do it as a collective group by committee. And, and that's a risky thing to do, but you can always turn around at the de- deadline if you don't feel like your team's doing enough. An example would be trading Jackie Bradley, possibly trade for a decent bullpen arm. But there's a lot of questions going into this season still with the Red Sox. Can they keep it up as far as consistency with the roster goes? Can the young guys keep going on this incredible trend? Andrew Benatendi batting 280, Mookie batting 300 plus, being an MVP caliber player. Chris Sale having that Cy Young Award season again. It's just going to be a lot of expectations are going to be really, really high. That's because they won last year. But if I'm fans and I'm looking at this team, I'm kind of bringing my expectations down a little bit. Offensive-wise, they've always been top tier. Pitching-wise, they really haven't. Over the course of the 2019-20 season, I don't see them having really a big problem starting pitching. I think what their really, really big issue is, and it's a colossal issue if I'm looking at it on a roster, it's just who's going to step up when these games are down the stretch. Even though Kimbrell didn't do as good, doesn't mean that there's a player that can step up. But we haven't seen enough of that. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to take a look at. And also the health of Carson Smith and Gothenburg coming back into the fold, into the mix. There's going to be a lot of questions whether these players are ready to step up, especially coming back from Tommy John surgeries. Hopefully, you know, they they definitely have a good stance and productivity uh, coming into the 2019-20 season. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.
Week four, Shark Sports Radio. We'll be talking about those Providence College Friars. Yes, they're having a bad season, but we're going to break down why they are. And we also will be talking about and analyzing the 2019 Boston Red Sox. Tune in.